I actually made the conscious decision like really early in life to be like, no, like I want to see, I want to actively try to pursue putting more Asian stories like on screen because it's an active thing of that constantly, whenever like I'm down on myself, like I always remind myself, like you got to see what you, you got to see what you can be. And I didn't grow up seeing a lot of Asian filmmakers at all. And like to this day, there's not a ton that are like super huge. I actively want to be a part of like helping like the next big Asian filmmaker or like even just putting more Asian faces on screen because like I don't want it to ever be a question in like 20 years for like an Asian kid who picks up a camera to be like, oh, like, could I ever be this? Because I don't see anybody else doing it. I want to I want them to see those examples and be like, oh, that could also be me. Stereotypes don't tell the whole story. I'm your host, Annie Prafke, and you're listening to Misfits, a podcast featuring discussions with people who felt like black sheep in their communities because of their identity. Justin Wen is a filmmaker based in Boston. Today, we talk about the pains of moving to a place where you're the minority. How Justin's dad's love of rock music inspired Justin to become a filmmaker and the impact the representation in film can make. You will notice that there are some clicks and pops in certain parts of the interview. This was actually one of the first Misfits interviews that I recorded, and Justin and I were both having some connectivity issues. While the audio isn't perfect, the stories and insights that Justin shares are still very powerful, in my opinion. So I hope that you won't let that bother you and you'll keep listening. I was born in this neighborhood south of Boston called Dorchester. It's a huge immigrant population for particularly Vietnamese people. It's where my parents ended up when they immigrated here. So I'd say essentially I was pretty much consumed in like only seeing Vietnamese culture around me from the time I was born till I was about like seven. Of course, like with mixed in with being just around Boston and the culture that comes with that. But I actually moved from there when I was six to a town that was, I believe, like 30 minutes south of Boston, if I have my coordinates right, uh, called Stoughton. And that was a huge culture change because I went from being surrounded by my entire family who were all Vietnamese and like just having like blocks and blocks of just multiculturalism and a lot of things that felt familiar for me. A nickname for Dorchester uh, around here that my peers call it is Little Saigon. At least that's what it feels like in the Northeast from what we can get. But going from that to moving 
to Stoughton, which is primarily like a kind of your run of the mill, like suburban, mostly white town. I felt really isolated in that. When you moved out of Dorchester into the suburbs, were you like expecting that or were you prepared to not be in a Vietnamese community or was it just like a total shock? I think at the time I was like, it was only, I hadn't known anything else. So like, I was like, oh, this is like everything I know. I was kind of expecting the same because I had like some family who had moved here before me. Like my uncle had moved here prior to my family moving there. And then like when I came about, it was kind of like that reality that hard reality check, even at age six, where it's like, oh, like, this is the world. (laughs) Were there any things, I mean, you were pretty young when you moved, but were there any things you realized after you moved that you had really taken for granted being in a community that shared your culture and your language and just a lot of family and, and people who knew your family? Yeah, I think like something that I really took for granted at the time was, um, almost this feeling of like, I could just blend in back in Dorchester. I went to a Vietnamese church when I was living in Dorchester. I saw my cousins everywhere. Every I'd say like everywhere that I went to, I saw and like knew somebody that was familiar or like I actually knew. Or like it was somebody who had known my family who were like, oh no, we know to look out for that kid. So going from that to moving to Stoughton was really jarring at the time because it was kind of the first instance where I felt isolated and where I felt different to be honest. Moving then into a community where you were a minority and you didn't look like everyone else, there were differences. Did you start to feel self-conscious at all about your Asian identity, about your Vietnamese identity? Yeah, absolutely. Like I, one of the first times where I really felt that was like during lunch when I'd bring things that like I'd grown up eating at that point my, my entire life. And like, it'd be a point of difference when I'd, when I'd go to lunch, like growing up in Stoughton and, and like other kids kind of gawking at what I was eating. That was, that's like so weird for like someone that age to like have to go through because it's like, I'm just eating. <laughs> so I'm like, what's the issue here? But like, I really felt hesitant to like kind of express my Asian identity and like really just try to be myself. And so like, I think at that point I really started embracing or just trying to problem solve or like figure out whether identities are kind of um, acceptable in here. So like I started asking my mom to bring different things for lunch and like started doing that just so that I, I, I guess I'd be less noticed. Yeah, I, well, in my really elementary through high school, there weren't very many Asian kids at my school as well. And there were definitely times when I felt very self-conscious about it or when other people pointed it out to me, uh, especially, I guess, a little bit later in my education. But there were also times when it was kind of like fun to be like different and unique. Like my mom would come in for like Lunar New Year and do like some history on that. Or sometimes we'd bring like food or just like little things like that, where I felt kind of unique and special in that way. And I mean, I'm a Chinese adoptee from North Dakota. So that's a pretty like niche identity. But when I've been in other spaces with like where there's a larger Asian population, sometimes I feel like a little less unique. Did you ever go through that experience at all where you kind of enjoyed being a little bit different than your peers? Definitely when I was older. And like, I have to like specifically shout out a couple of my teachers growing up in high school because my teachers, I, I had a couple of teachers who like automatically like kind of had a sense of like how I was feeling being in an all white classroom um, where like they point out being like, 
in like in some senses it was really good then in other senses like it was really awkward like i specifically remember this one time i think i was like three i was still in middle school so i was like really young when i was like 12 and like we were in history class and my teacher was we were on the section about the vietnam war and like she transitioned to it and then she immediately looked at me <laughs> and like asked me how i felt about it as a 12 year old and i was like i have no idea like why are you putting me on blast for this? but like along with that there were also like really great times where like my teachers would go up to me and be like, hey, like I tried like pho or like I've tried different kinds of Vietnamese foods or like oh, my dad like fought in Vietnam, but I went there to visit. And like in those cases, like it really felt made me feel special because I was like, oh, like I felt seen for what I was. But like I think growing up as I got more comfortable being in that kind of isolated environment, not necessarily growing around a lot of Asian people uh, in Stoughton at the very least, there was a big sense of like, oh, like I am the, I am, I am the Asian kid <laughs> for all that comes with in this town. And good with the bad, like it did make me kind of feel a little bit more, a little bit more special. Did you have friends who were really interested in Vietnamese culture? Cause, and I, I asked that because I, I definitely had friends, too, who were interested in, in Chinese culture or Asian culture just very broadly. Sometimes that was very cool. And like sometimes it was kind of like you where it's like people were asking me all these questions about like the Chinese government and the history of China. And I just had no idea. But it was kind of expected that because I'm Chinese, I would have this like special knowledge about it, uh, which I didn't. Mm -hmm. Is that something that you experienced as well? Yeah, totally. I think like it's a it's a hard line to toe because like you like being you like you like you can see that some people were trying to like well let me ask let me answer the first part of your question first. I didn't necessarily have like a lot of friends who would purposely like ask me about Asian culture growing up and like it, that in a sense like that's what I wanted as a kid because like I was still like really uncomfortable expressing that side of me because of how I had to code switch all the time. And like, I kind of lost that for a little bit. But like, when I had when I had friends who were like, just treating me at, like, for like, lack of a better term, like, as if I was just any other race, or if I was even white, who quote, unquote, they when they didn't see code. <laughs> I found that really comforting, like when I was younger, but as I it kind of grew to be a little bit more disruptive when I was older, as I was getting more comfortable with myself. Because I wanted to be seen for expressing my Asian identity and like to see that like I had friends growing up who didn't really care about it or even show interest into it juxtaposed to the friends that I made when I was older who would like purposely be like oh let's go get fun or like let's go who were really interested like it made me really isolated and um, kind of like changed how I felt about those relationships in the past. You've talked quite a bit about this isolation that you sometimes felt um, in, what is it, Stanton? Uh, Stoughton. Stoughton. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, no worries. Uh, I'm wondering, do you think your parents felt any of this isolation as well, being outside of the community that they'd been in for so many years? Yeah, no, absolutely. I think like to a certain extent, like I learned a little bit of how to code switch and how to blend in from my parents because as it goes, like you're kind of, especially like growing up, you're kind of an extension of who your parents are. And my parents immediately moved here. I can tell that they really missed a lot of the things that we got in Dorchester of like being able to have family down the street from us or, um, or just being able to get anything and everything that we needed from a grocery store. 
that was super close. And I think to a certain extent, I also noticed how my parents would kind of switch and like kind of put on a quote unquote a white voice like at work or like on the phone or like when we went to the bank or stuff like that where I was and like it didn't occur to me that they were doing that until I literally saw my mom who was talking on the phone with my aunt one time like fully in Vietnamese like the most in her native tongue like just expressing who she whatever she felt at the time she went to she went to this bank while on the phone and then as she was talking to the teller, she was like, oh, let me put you on hold in Vietnamese. And then she'd like just switch into like this like really blatant code switch. And like that was really jarring for me to see at the time because I was like, oh, this is like kind of a survival mechanism for my mom. She's like, she's doing this because her herself, she probably felt similar feelings of isolation and like just wanting to blend in because she's felt isolated and like she just didn't want it and when you felt isolated for so long to a certain extent you just want to you just want to survive and blend in probably not even be seen to a certain extent but yeah did your family try to stay connected to the community that you had in dorchester after you moved yeah it's um it's kind of like a hard line to tell for them because i felt like my mom like moving into stoughton like that was kind of her kind of getting away from it a bit because my mom immigrated here when she was pretty young she was only nine when she immigrated from vietnam so to a certain extent she's like kind of went through the same things that i've been through where she's trying to learn how to survive in white culture from a very young age and so like part of that was kind of the motivation to move from dorchester to stoughton to like kind of in a sense achieve the american dream or what her idea of the American dream is. And it was much harder for my dad because to this day, his entire family is still in Dorchester. Like they all live here. And like, it's hard for them to go back because they they feel like they're living in between identities. And I think at a certain point they had to choose a path or that's how they felt. And it felt too jarring to go back because it kind of hurt them to miss it. And so as the years have gone on, we've kind of gone back and forth with going back. Like I've gone back a lot as an adult because as I've kind of carved out my path and like reintegrated myself into my culture, but my parents often don't go back unless it's not to be morbid, but unless it's a funeral. (laughs) I think it's always hard once you move out of a community, because even if you feel very close ties to it, moving somewhere else does change you a little bit. And so then when you go back, you're a little bit of a different person and you can never fully go back to that state that you were when you just lived in that community and that's all you knew. I definitely feel that when I go back to to visit Fargo. Really? Yeah. I mean, to a certain extent, do you, like, do you ever feel like those apprehensions? Because like you've moved, you've lived in a couple different places too, right? Yeah. Yeah. I've lived in Minnesota, California, North Dakota, and Texas. And I've stayed very connected to my community in North Dakota. And often between those moves, I was going back and forth. So I went to college in Minnesota, but I would go back for breaks to North Mm -hmm. Dakota. And then I did a teaching program, like a a service year teaching program in California. But I moved back to North Dakota right after that. And then this was kind of my first move where it's like, not sure if I'm going to go back anytime soon. So it does feel strange to me. And and a part of me feels kind of sad about it because I, I do feel very close to my Fargo community. And and like I said, whenever I go back, you know, I still try to see people and maintain friendships and connections. But 
there's just something different when you're not seeing those same people day to day. And, you know, you have like the inside jokes and you have the inside knowledge of what's going on in daily life. It's like you have to catch up on, on everything that's happened in the past six months. So it's different. Yeah, no, it's just like I can relate to that a little bit from when I went back to Stoughton um, from college where I try to see like my best friends from and like this kind of connects to what I was telling you before about kind of the disappointment that I realized as I kind of grew up in like how my friends didn't really show an interest in my kind of in my culture and stuff like that but having those realizations when you come back of like oh like things are different and like the relationships that you remember don't really hold up as well after you've like moved away or kind of they kind of feed into that harshness that you feel that you feel when you're trying to figure out is this the same place that I used to know like I think that's how my parents feel when they go back to Dorchester because they lived there for like they grew up there and like they got married there and to move away from it was was really difficult for them at first. <laughs> Next, Justin talks about searching for a Vietnamese community in college and how interacting with other immigrants helped him to better understand his parents' experience as new Americans. You've also talked about reconnecting with your Vietnamese roots uh, later in life. Can you explain that a little bit more or how you've done so? Yeah, so when I... When I moved out to go to college, I I kind of did the thing that I wanted to do in middle school, which is I, I went to school in the city. And I went to Suffolk University, which is directly in the middle of Boston. Like it's my dorm was literally in front of like all the traffic. Like it was really difficult to sleep in. I'm not going to lie. Um, but I went there for a semester kind of like chasing that, like, oh, I'm going to go find my people <laughs> and like. I'm going to go find diversity and find more and kind of like chase that, chase back my roots. And when I did that, I remember one of the first days, like I'm like, cause like in high school, I didn't really have a lot of Asian friends. There was only like a handful of us in my grade in particular. I didn't really get the chance to connect with them and stuff like that. But when I went to college, like I was so excited my first day, like, Oh, I made my first Asian friend as an adult. And it was awesome because like we did all the things that like I kind of did with my family. Like we got dim sum, like we got bubble tea, like we did all these things. And like, these are all the things that I do in my family. And to a certain extent, like I felt like I had to hide from my friends because I didn't think my friends would find it cool and stuff like that. But like, it felt so natural to like make that first connection. And it came more and more as like, I ended up transferring schools I, and I went to a school that actually had a Vietnamese student association. And that was huge for me because not only did I realize like, oh, like I can be more comfortable expressing the foods that I liked and the pieces of music that I really grew up with, but it became, uh, it was kind of the first environment where I never had to code switch because everyone, there's like this unspoken bond between like, I think especially like people of color where it's like, oh, like you kind of get it. Like, I don't have to explain to you why this is, why this thing that happened to me in like third grade was like wrong. And like that felt so freeing because I understood, I, because I understood how um, kind of my parents felt like growing up, like in the nineties uh, in Dorchester, because like that's all they pretty much knew because they didn't have to, 
be anything else but themselves. Like my parents would go days without speaking English when we when we lived in Dorchester, and like that was really comforting. Not only seeing like from a Vietnamese perspective, but like a first generation Vietnamese perspective, because I think especially as like first generation Asian Americans, like that's a very raw and like specific experience. And like getting the chance to talk to you and like other people, that is something that I realized was really missing as I was like growing up in Stoughton. So a lot of the friends that you made in college and maybe specifically in the Vietnamese student organization, were most of them like second generation immigrants like you or were quite a few of them first gen as well? It was a mix of both because I had, um, I think like I had a lot of second second gens in there. But there is also um, I have like a very keen like observation of like first generation immigrants, because as like I've kind of grown up in Massachusetts, my family, they've brought along like a lot of my cousins from Vietnam. And it's like it's very interesting seeing how they've kind of integrated and like learned how to try to work within like this new society that they're dealing with. And so when I noticed that, like it was almost like when I talked to first generation Americans. I kind of realized that I was understanding my parents a lot more because I was like, oh, this is why they feel this way. And like, that was mind blowing to me as a, as a kid in college. Cause I was like, I think as you get older, you start to humanize your parents a lot more and just understanding and talking more first gens. Like it was really, it was really eye opening. Are there any particular things that from talking to other first generation Vietnamese immigrants that you were like, oh, this explains why my parents do this or why they think this way. Yeah, there's this one thing in particular where my dad, and like, it, it, it's fairly obvious to me now, but when I was kind of like a rebellious teenager, I didn't understand why my parents would constantly want me to like order the food over the phone. Like, it was just something that I didn't get. When I was hanging out with um, one of my friends, Tan, and we were ordering food, like, we went to, he was like, hey, can do you mind, like, ordering for me, like, this is what I want, so I was like, oh, yeah, sure, like, but, like, why don't you want to just order for yourself, and he was like, he was like, oh, I'm just not super comfortable in my English yet, and I was like, oh, I, oh, I completely get it now, and then, like, when I thought about it, like, it was, like, that rabbit hole of, like, oh, this is why my parents have me do this, <laughs> I was like, I'm so stupid, <laughs> but, yeah, no, it's like little moments like that that have like really strengthened the bond between me and my parents. Have you talked to your parents about these things and kind of explained that you maybe understand where they're coming from a little bit more? Yeah, totally. Because I think like with me and my parents, our relationship has really been built on because like I feel with me and my parents, we never really show, showed like physical forms of affirmations and like love or like even verbally like I didn't really tell my parents I I didn't tell my parents I loved them until I was probably like 20 years old like for the first time ever um that was under really dire circumstances (laughs) but we've always found different ways to show that we loved each other whether that's like make like my parents like whenever I go home the first thing my parents ask me is like did you eat yet like are you properly fed and like even when I was at college like that'd be the first thing that they they'd ask me when I'd be away it could be like at six in the morning and they'd still be like oh are you hungry (laughs) and I was like you're like several miles away but like I appreciate the sentiment and like 
as I've kind of grown and like really kind of bridged the gaps of like showing them like, Hey, like I'm, I'm learning where you're coming from. And like, I just want, I just want to make sure that, you know, that I'm trying to make an active effort and like being more empathetic towards everything. Cause I know we both have hard times, like trying to understand each other, but like, I think we're, I remember this one specific time where like my parents and I had had a fight that was like probably it was probably the biggest fight that we ever had and like we didn't talk to each other for a week and then like when we reconnected like one of the biggest things that I got out of that conversation that I'll always remember is when my dad specifically told me he was like I think we're a lot similar than we are different and that was like the biggest thing and like for me to hear at as like a kid trying to figure it out to to hear like oh like i think we really are <laughs> a lot similar because like that's why we're still having this argument <laughs> but um no yeah, no like i get so many intangibles from them like i think like i get a lot of my stubbornness from my parents <laughs> and like yeah we've just grown to like appreciate the similarities yeah, I think that's funny, too. It's something I can relate to in my own family, where I've come to realize that a lot of the ways that I like butt heads with my mom or with my sister, it's like because it's a similarity that we have. It's like we're both very strong willed or we're both stubborn or we're both bad at communicating our feelings. And it's like, oh, yeah. that's like the crux of it is that we're too similar. Absolutely. It's like that's like what you just said there is like it's everything especially in family because it's like oh like two oranges are never going to figure out how to make an apple <laughs> that's true that was justin Wen, boston-based filmmaker and cinematographer next justin talks about how his dad inspired him to get into filmmaking and what kinds of projects he's been working on quick note that this was recorded back in january 2022 and Justin did not immediately respond to requests for a follow-up. I will put a link to his Instagram in the podcast description so you can keep up with his work. Yeah, I want to talk a little bit about your dad as well. So you said he grew up, or he was a young adult in the 80s in Boston, and you said that American rock music was a really important thing for him. Can you tell me more about that and about your relationship to music and your family? Yeah, so... My dad is, I always say, like, when I tell people that my dad, I say, I always introduce him as, like, the first rock star, like, I've ever, I ever knew, because that's what he was to me, or that's, that is what he is to me. You wouldn't, if you were to meet him now, you wouldn't really notice it, because, like, you'd just be like, oh, he's just a software engineer, <laughs> like, but you wouldn't, you wouldn't have realized, like, oh, no, like, he was really killing it in the 80s, where, like, he one of the things that he brought over when he immigrated here with his brothers is his love of music because even when he he learned several instruments by himself um with ever having like a t without ever having a teacher and when he immigrated here part of like him being part of a community organizer was doing a lot of vietnamese covers of like modern like Oh, at the time, modern rock songs, like from bands like Duran Duran and like a lot of those new wave bands. And like, it was a big hit because like, it meant something for people to like hear a melody that they recognize, but actually understand the lyrics. And like, he took the time to like, translate that and do that because he loved the music, but he wanted to give other people the art who had just come there, the opportunity to like, really understand 
the lyrics of it and fully flesh it out. And like, in a sense, like when I think back to it, I'm like, Oh, like that, those are real instances of like what it means to be like Asian American is that real land of two different worlds. You're also in the creative field, right? You're a filmmaker. Do you think that having a father who was interested in creative pursuits and interested in the arts, do you think that kind of influenced your decision to become a filmmaker? Yeah, no, definitely. Because my dad has always told me that he, music was his first love. Like, even when he stopped playing music, there's always been some artistic, really soulful part about him, whether it's like, oh, he got into cooking. Or, um, but I also credit him as like the, one of the reasons why I got into filmmaking because growing up and like, and like kind of putting music on me as a kid, like taught me small forms of expression, especially when I was like learning piano and guitar and stuff like that. And like, so I had that instance in me, but it was, it was actually in a, my dad, my dad loves making home videos. Like he's a big, he was like the dude with like the VHS camera in like the nineties and stuff like that. And he just loved recording stuff. And like, he used to actually press DVDs of like family events that he'd like give to people so that they could remember it and stuff like that. And like, I, I remember like pick, I think I was 11 when I picked up his, um, the camera he was using and like I'd learn I'd film stuff and like shoot my short my own like kind of bad short films and like learn to edit it on like whatever editing software he had so like and that was like something that he never pushed on to me but it was just something that I saw him do and I was like oh like he could make something out of this like you don't have to just make home movies but and like to a certain extent I feel like me pursuing a creative field is a little bit like vengeful in a sense because my dad made the biggest sacrifice of like giving up music to provide for a house and like a family and for me so like to a certain extent I think I owe it to him to like use the the blessings and the freedom that he's kind of given me to pursue the things that I actually want in the best measures that I can to hopefully provide the same opportunity for my kids one day and show them that it is possible. Like my heroes at the time, like that really got me into filmmaking were notably like really specific filmmakers that would tell like really true stories about their backgrounds or where they grew up. And like, I think I didn't understand it at the time, but I think one of the reasons why those filmmakers really meant a lot to me, like Spike Lee or, even like as I got older, like Alulu Wong is because um those filmmakers were telling really hyper specific stories about where they came from. And I didn't see that in kind of these bigger blockbuster movies because and I think what what that meant so much to me is because I inadvertently wanted to do the same of like telling stories of like, oh, this is how I grew up and like this is the inner dynamics of my family. Because I didn't see that growing up. I actually made the conscious decision like really early in life to be like, no, like I want to see, I want to actively try to pursue putting more Asian stories like on screen because it's an active thing of that constantly, whenever like I'm down on myself, like I always remind myself like, 
you got to see what you you got to see what you can be. And I didn't grow up seeing a lot of Asian filmmakers at all. And like to this day, there's not a ton that are like super huge. Um, it's getting better, obviously, but I actively want to be a part of like helping like the next big Asian filmmaker or like even just putting more Asian faces on screen because like I don't want it to ever be a question in like 20 years for like an Asian kid who picks up a camera to be like, Oh, like, could I ever be this? Cause I don't see anybody else doing it. I want to, I want them to see those examples and be like, Oh, that could also be me. Yeah. You've talked quite a bit about representation. And as you said, there aren't like a ton, especially in kind of like Hollywood, I suppose, uh, mm -hmm. mainstream Asian filmmakers and directors. I'm wondering, were there any Vietnamese filmmakers or directors that you knew of growing up who maybe inspired you or have you discovered any later in life? Yeah, there's um just a quick blurb. So I actually have on my mom's side of my family when they immigrated, like two of my uncles moved to France and like the rest of my family moved to America. And um I remember this one specific time where like I told my family members like they had known at the time, like, oh like he wants to be a filmmaker. Uh, my uncle showed me this movie from this one French Vietnamese filmmaker. I forget his name. He's like, it's really blanking out on me. But um, I saw that and like, he was like, he had the same last name as me. And like, that was mind blowing. Cause it was like, a, it was like a super art housey movie. Like it was probably something that I was too young to even understand. But like, I was just so hung up on the fact that I was like, oh, like, this is someone who's like Vietnamese and like has my last name. He's like making something that was like really beautiful. But yeah, that's probably like the only Vietnamese filmmaker that I really grew up um, admiring. But yeah. Are there any projects that you're currently working on that you can tell us about? Yeah, for sure. So I'm actually so as I kind of preface to you, like right before we start recording, this is kind of a busy week. I'm actually wrapping up shooting a short film for my friend this weekend or starting on Thursday. So I've just been doing all the prep work doing that. And it that's a short film called Sacrifices. It's a really small, hyper budget short film. It's really run and gun. And it's kind of been based on this idea that I think like a lot of creatives can kind of connect with, with um, kind of feeling that they have to defer. We all have to like defer to do the thing that we really want to do so like it's all ba it's all based on this dancer who has to like work like four different jobs to support her dancing career and stuff like that and then other than that like i have a couple more music videos coming out uh with this one artist his name's javier he's his, his real name's angel but he's a friend that i grew up with fun fact enough he was actually like the first friend in high school that like wasn't asian that like i got boba with so like that was like the basis of our relationship but like it's a lifelong bond right there <laughs> yeah it's awesome and like he's like one of my best friends and he's one of my closest friends and he's a really talented music artist um and like he was one of the first friends that i had who was um a person of color who like we'd talk where we'd actually talk about our backgrounds and like he also comes from a family of immigrants from the dominican republic and it was one of the few instances in high school where I like I kind of felt more understood. But yeah, we have some stuff coming out there. But yeah, no, and and then I'm also producing my first short film 
that is kind of about my dad. And so I'm working on that. And hopefully that'll come out towards the end of the year. But I don't know. Like, that's kind of the first thing that I've been working on that is kind of pushing forward, like, a little bit more of my personal voice. And so I'm, like, equally excited but like really terrified to do it (laughs) yeah it's hard to put yourself out there i can relate you know it's i think a lot of times in the creative world too it's like you want to have representation and you want to you know share bits of your story but you are afraid to and you kind of want other people who maybe share those same stories and highlight them but i think at some point it's often good to come back to yourself a little bit and be vulnerable and, and put yourself out there so you know, absolutely. You write what you know, film what you know, all those things. No, absolutely. And so fingers crossed it'll go well, but I'm definitely excited to kind of be in that space of being vulnerable because I feel like it's scary because like you care. <laughs> oh, definitely. But yeah, I'm excited for all these projects to come out. It totally makes sense why it's been a hectic week. You're doing a lot right now. Yeah, no, totally. But yeah. And where can we find more about your work? Yeah, so you can find my you can find a link to my portfolio on my Instagram. It's my website's currently under construction right now. But, um, yeah, you can follow me on Instagram at at just j u s t underscore n g u, and you can find all my stills and stuff like that over there and everything that I'm working on. I'm actually like in development right now for actually setting up an event. Um, just a little showcase of like a bunch of different films. And so if you're in the Boston area and like you'd like to attend that, like you can hear all the latest news about that on my Instagram. Um, so yeah, I'm just, other than that, like, I don't know, I post a lot of pictures of my dogs on there too. So yeah. Well, that's reason <laughs> enough, right? Yeah. No. Yeah. Well, I'll make sure to put a link for that in the description of the podcast. No, awesome. Thank you so much, Amy. Thank you, Justin. Thank you for listening to Misfits. Please rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Please follow us on Twitter at ACXPMisfits and on Instagram at ACXPMisfits, where you can also send us a message with ideas for the show or let us know if you or anyone you know would like to come on as a guest. We'd love to have you. Also, thank you to Gabe Vordunker for the music in today's show.